chapter number 2 today. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. We will not be turning to the familiar Christmas story that maybe is in your mind of Luke 2. But we'll actually be turning to another story that happens shortly after what we have termed as the Christmas story. No one knows if Jesus was born on December the 25th or April the 25th. Is really not the point. The point is that the Lord and Savior was brought to us in the fullness of time. Did we not? We had BC and AD. We had before Christ, and we had Anna Domina, Domina, which is Latin for the year of our Lord, which is a direct reference of the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. But now we have B.C., which doesn't mean before Christ. It means uh, B.C.E., before common error. And now we have C.E., common error. And so we see that even in our culture and our times, uh, even since the 60s and 70s, is even before that, is that man has always been wanting to remove God out of the picture. That's always sinful man's desire. And that is sinful man's desire because he's blinded by Satan, right? He's blinded by the devil. And the devil wants us to forget about God. The devil doesn't want us to remember God. The devil would like for all of us, even that are believers, and that though our home is secure in heaven and though we have an eternal salvation that rests in Jesus Christ, he would like us to kind of if you will, fall off the bandwagon to just kind of quit serving God. I believe that would be a goal of his, to make us useless, to make us fruitless. And sometimes I believe one of his goals and one of the ways that he does that is that he brings trials and adversities. He brings old age. He brings sufferings into our life. He brings fun and entertainment. And sometimes we get off track of serving the Lord. I've gotten off track. Have you ever gotten off track? We've all gotten off track of serving God in the way that we should. One of the devil's biggest tools is to convince you that now that you've gotten off track, that there is no crane to put you back on the tracks. You know what I mean? How many of you uh, have small children that liked Thomas the Train? Any of you? You know? And Cranky was pretty cranky. (laughs) But he still did his job. And he still would put cars back on tracks if they needed to be. You know what? I'm glad I don't serve a cranky God. I don't. I serve a loving, caring, wonderful Lord. That whenever I get off track, he doesn't want me to stay off tracks. He wants to put me back on get back on the straight and narrow way. And there's two people in our account today that were on the straight and narrow. They were devout, they were righteous, and they were godly. And they were old. (laughs) Simeon and Anna. You're there in Luke 2. Let's look at verse number 22 and let's grab a little context. Look what it says here in verse 22. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him 
before the Lord. Let's just stop there for a moment. As it says in verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, we'll stop right there for just a moment. Mary and Joseph have already seen this child. It's, Jesus has already been delivered. He's already been circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. Uh, and now he is being brought to the temple on the 40th day in order that he might uh, to symbolize Mary's purification. At this time, she was to be go into the temple, and she was, and her and Joseph were to bring uh, one of three things. They were either to bring a lamb, they were to either to bring turtle doves or two young pigeons, one of the other. Why one of the other? Well, Turtle doves were not always prevalent in the time of Israel. They were not always there. They were a seasonal bird. But you can always find a pigeon, right? And, uh, and then if you were extremely poor, you could bring one ephah of fine flour uh, to the purification. So we know that they were not, if you want to term it this way, dirt poor. But they were obviously not rich either, right? Because they did not bring the lamb, they brought the two turtle doves. So this young couple, and we don't know their ages. Many have many scholars and commentators that you read about. They say that maybe they're in between the ages, uh, Mary's in between the age of 13 and 16. Most likely not any older than 16 or 17. Joseph most likely not being much older than that. So a group of teenagers... I know that sounds odd in our society, and we call a lot of those times, we might say those are unwed pregnancies and those kinds of things, but that would have been very common in that day, very common. My grandmother, for instance, was married at 14 years old. And so, uh, and, uh, so just to kind of give you a little retrospective, my dad is very, my dad's 77, so his, and he was the last of nine children, so my grandfather was born in the 1800s, so you can kind of get an idea of where, how I come from an older generation of, of people. But the point being is that, uh, is that years ago, is that, that would have been very common right, right there. But they brought this in, and why would they bring this in? Because this was a symbolization of her impurification, that she had had a child and that with childbearing comes certain impurities and certain things. And, 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 and she's bringing this child in, but all of it represents something else. Every sacrifice and every time a child was circumcised and every time that an impurity had to be cleansed at the temple or wherever it might have been, it was always pointing towards the fact that we and people, men and women, are inherently sinful. Sinful. You say, well, why did Jesus have to be circumcised? Well, I, read, I, said, I quoted the verse to you earlier in Galatians. He was born of a woman, made under the law. He fully submitted himself to the law of God in order that he might be our perfect lamb, our perfect sacrifice. He obeyed all the laws that were required for him. He never, I don't believe that he ever had to offer a sacrifice, though he ate of the Passover, for he never had sinned. But this whole process of the purification, the circumcision, was all done in order that the law might be fulfilled in him. 
What did Christ say of it himself? He says, I came not to destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill it. To complete it. To fill it up to the brim is the idea there. I did it all. I did it all. Blameless. But unlike Paul, right, who was guilty of covetousness in his own heart, we know our Lord was perfect. And he is perfect. And he always will be perfect. And then the story begins to transition because in verse number 25 we find, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And Joseph his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul, and thy thoughts of many shall be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. Let me pause there for just a moment right there. There are some say that since the children of Israel left, uh, or excuse me, the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, uh, were... Uh, put out of Israel, they were banished, they were, they were put into bondage by the Assyrians. There are some that believe that at that moment, the other ten nations were lost, that they weren't around anymore. Well, that is proven false throughout the narrative of the New Testament. Even in this instance right here, you have a, you have a very small glimpse of that where Anna is of the tribe of what? Asher, Asher. You see, God has his people. It doesn't seem uh, logical or possible that God could draw out 12,000 from each tribe. But listen, I believe my God knows the hairs on my head. Amen? He knows everything about me. And there's nothing too big for my God. And so he says here that she was of the tribe of Asher, and he says in verse number 30, 37, or excuse me, and she had lived in, with a husband for seven years, and she was a widow for about four score and four years, that's 84 years, and so uh, if my math serves me correctly, 84 plus uh, seven is 91, and uh, you know, no girl would have been married at 10 years old, so she, if, but if it's to say she was, all right, then she would have been 101, all right? Most likely she was married uh, 16, 15, 16, 17 year olds, years old. So we know she was probably around the age of maybe 108, 109, 110 years old, this lady is. Simeon is also an older man because we know by his testimony that once he sees the Christ that he's going to pass away. The idea of the language, the vocabulary is that he had been waiting some time. He was not a young spry chicken anymore, all right? 
Verse 37, she was this older lady and she had departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, what instant? At the exact same time that Simeon met up with Mary and Joseph and the exact same time that Mary and Joseph had came into the temple place. And understand that the temple yard was not some small place, all right? It was, not some, uh, it was not some little synagogue, all right? There would have been thousands of people gathered there on that day, and there would not have just been one young couple with one little baby, but there would have been multiple uh, people there because they would have brought their child there. Now, it wasn't a requirement that they bring the, temp- they bring the child to the temple, but many would have done so out of dedication because there's many that lived in Jerusalem at the time. So this is not unusual at all for this to have happened. And then, but for the Mary and Joseph, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, all to be there exact same time. Uh, the, the old Puritans used to call that providence. And what they meant by that was they put a capital P on providence and, they, and one of their names for God was providence. This is providence happening. This is God working out this situation to prove and to show that this is the Messiah. She coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for the redemption in Israel. Now I have a lot to say and I want to say a whole lot, but I don't, I want to focus in on what I want to say here today. And that is that last week we saw that the wise men worship God. I preached last week that wise men still worship Jesus. Wise men, wise women, wise people still worship Jesus. Today I want us to see that we need to worship God to the very end. Don't stop, don't quit worshiping the Lord. Never give up, never tire out. The two people in our text, as I've mentioned to you, Simeon and both Anna, were not younger folks. Though Mary and Joseph are young, they are not. These two here have come, and they have come in order that they might see the Lord's Christ. In our account today, we find that though the, like the people last week, remember the wise men did not have very much teaching. They didn't have the holy oracles of God. They had just the witness of Balaam, a, a, uh, a man that was a false prophet, yet, yet God used him to prophesy truly about the things of God. They perhaps had Daniel. They had other prophets that had been left in Babylon at that time. So they had very little knowledge, but Simeon and Anna and Israel had very much knowledge about the Messiah. They had the book of Isaiah, right? They had the book of Jeremiah, they had the prophecies. They knew what Micah 5.2 said about that he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew the prophecies. But isn't it so sad that so few were looking for him? That Daniel even gave to them the exact, almost to the day and time when the Savior would be born and so few were looking for him? I just want to say this quickly. We don't know the day or the hour that has not been given to us, neither has it been given to the Son of Man. Only the Father in heaven knows when Jesus will come again. But how many of us are looking for him, are anticipating him, 
One of the last words of John's, uh, John's revelation is that he says, even so come Lord Jesus. That was in about 95 AD. He was looking. He was ready. Are we looking? Are we ready? These two, Simeon and Anna, they knew about these things. In fact, God had revealed it to Simeon. In their day, there was not many that were truly justified, truly holy, truly devout. In our story here in Luke 1 and 2, you only find uh, Elizabeth, Zacharias, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. You find the shepherds that, were, that, that had seen the sign and uh, also in Luke's gospel. But aren't you glad that God always has a remnant of people? He always has a small group of people that love God and truly serve God with their hearts. They're not just doing it out of rote. They're not just here today because they have to be. The two people that we're examining here today, Simeon and Anna, these two elderly folks, I believe, examine, examine, uh, give to us a great example of living a lifelong service for the Lord. A lifelong service. That it never quits. And that worshiping God is something that we continue to do, we refine it, we learn about it, and we approve on it every single year of our life. The reason I want to, the reason, some of the reasons I'm breaching this topic of worship, and I hope to do so over the next couple of services too, is because I really notice in our day today that we have people that say things like, they really know how to worship. You ever heard somebody say that? Or, I'm going to go worship. What does that mean? What is, what are, what is somebody saying when they say that? What are they defining? How we define worship is very important. For example, some people will say, well, they're really, I'm going to worship God. And what they mean by that is they're going to go to church and they're going to, uh, uh, you know, they're going to, they're going to hear prophecy and they're going to speak in tongues and there's going to be uh, lots of people around that are having a gibberish language that are talking and things of that nature. And, um, and, and they're saying, man, we really worshiped God today. Well, in actuality, you didn't worship God. For two reasons, because number one, the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians that there's to only be two to three that are speaking. And when everybody's speaking, that violates the commandments of God. And you can't violate the command of God in worship. Just look back to Nadab and Abihu, right? They offer strange fire unto the Lord and God sent out a fire and killed them. Secondly is this, is that you can't say that you're worshiping God by speaking gibberish because the Bible teaches that the gift of tongues was real known languages. So the gift of tongues would be given today if perhaps there were some in our audience here this morning that were unsaved, unbelievers, and you uh, had two tongues. You had a tongue of English and you had a tongue of Spanish. And then all of a sudden, I'm preaching, uh, I'm preaching, and though I can't speak a lick of, ex lick of Spanish except taco and burrito, all right? Yet, let's say the small group here in our back left corner here speaks, only, speaks both languages, and then I start preaching in Spanish to them. And I'm list they're listening to me. 
That would be the gift of tongues. That's not happening today. All right? That's not what's going on. There's also those that, and I've talked to many like this, that define worship as what they do uh, in the wilderness. You ever heard anybody talk like this? They say, well, I, I can worship God in the wilderness. Or, or they might even say, well, I can worship God better in the wilderness and, and say that to you. And which may be true. I'm not doubting that. Amen? You might worship God in the wilderness. You might worship God better in the wilderness. That's great. But usually what that points out to is this, is that a lot of people, what they mean by that is that they mean is that I don't have to go to church to worship God. Well, you can't worship God and not go to church too at the same time. Why is that? Because you're forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10, 25. So you see, again, you can't break God's law and then also worship God. It doesn't jive. It doesn't mix. Some people say, well, some people think they're worshiping God today because they're going to a church and they're going to light a candle and they're going to bow down in front of the altar of Mary. They're not worshiping God. Because you see, they're bowing before what? A graven image. All right? And the second commandment tells us plainly that you should not bow before or have yourselves any graven images. You know the Catholic Church takes that commandment out, right? That's not in their Ten Commandments. Because why? Because they have graven images all over their cathedrals. And they bow down to them in their houses and in their homes and they light candles to them. And God has instructed us implicitly about these things that we don't do these. Listen, I don't have to, I don't serve a cranky God. I don't serve a God. I, serve a, I don't serve a God that is mad and upset, so mad and upset that he will never hear me. So he had to send his son, well, deny their mother, right? You see, that's the teaching of Mariology right there that says uh, nobody's going to deny their mother. So Jesus will sympathetically and tenderly listen to his mom uh, for your request that you may give to him. And if she pleads long enough and loud enough for your sins, that eventually he will forgive you of your sins. But if not before you die, then you will have to go to purgatory. Then hope that somebody that is up here offers enough candles and prayers and, 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 and indulgences that you might be delivered from the purgatory that you're indefinitely in. Praise God, I don't serve a Lord like that. No, I serve a God that said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not his only begotten Mary, amen? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the God I serve. So today, if you will be patient with me for the next 20, 25 minutes here, I want to share with you some elements that should be a part of the worship that we should be doing towards God. Now, these elements that I'm going to share with you are essential, but I don't believe they're equal. What I mean by that is this. I don't believe that what I'm sharing with you is that you're going to have to do all of these at the exact same time, all right? Or will all of these always be present in your worship at the exact same time? Or all of them, you'll be doing them all the exactly equal at the exact same time. What I mean by that is this, is that these elements of worship are found for us in the Word of God right here that Simeon and Anna, and I could prove to you others, many others in the Scriptures, have done the exact same thing. 
In fact, the list that I'm giving to you of these elements of worship, I believe, is very abbreviated. And, but I, I, I kind of shudder to think to tell you how many there are at the beginning. All right? You might shut me down. All right? So bear with me here for just a few moments. I want to just share with you today how can you and I, God wants us to serve God to the end. Amen? He doesn't want us to quit. Does God want us to stop? Does God want us to quit? No, he wants us to be faithful to the end. And these folks were. Let's notice some elements of their worship and praise. Look at verse number 25. He says to us now, and he says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. The first thing is very simple, all right? If you're going to worship God to the end, is that, number one, you must be the people of God. Only the people of God can worship the God, the God, of, the, the God of the universe. Only the people of God. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a son of God, a daughter of God, then you cannot ever worship God. You are excluded from the worship. You are not allowed into the worship. Why? Because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, whenever they would come into the temple, they could not just come without any price. They could not come without any gift. They could not come without any sacrifice, all right? Almost all things under the law are purged by the blood, right? But, but, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. See, a lady could uh, uh, redeem, could, pure, could give her sacrifice of, of purification through the blood of a lamb, through the blood of, a, uh, of two turtle doves, but she could also give it through a ephah of fine flour. No blood there. But... The remission of sins is only through the blood. That's it. And to be a people of God, you must have the blood applied, right? You've got to have the blood applied. And so this man, Simeon, is a just and devout man. He is a man that is righteous before God. He is a man that is just before the Lord and just before men. People recognize him. People see him. But more importantly, people see in him, God sees him as righteous and just. And if you're saved, then you've been declared righteous. You have the, the blood has been applied and you can freely worship God. The next thing we find in verse number 25 is this. In order to continue to worship God, then number one is essential. You have to be saved. But number two, look at verse number 25. It says this, And behold, there was a man whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and about, and here it is, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The next word is pause. Worship requires some pausing. Worship requires some waiting. Worship requires that not all the time are you going to be lifting up hands of praise. Worship requires some quietness. Worship requires some alone time. What did Jesus tell his disciples when they prayed? What were they to do? They were to go into their what? Closet. How many times many of you have found a closet this morning? How many of you worship God in your closet? You know, I've been out door knocking and I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord and I've asked them to come to church. I've never had one person tell me, 
Had lots of people tell me, I, I worship God here, I worship God. I've never had one person tell me, I worship the Lord this morning in my closet. Did you worship him this morning alone, by yourself? Just you and God, with his word, his Holy Spirit, and you talking to him. There needs to be a pause in worship. There needs to be time where we reflect. We call it meditation. Think on the things of God. This is how I'm talking about how you strive to the end. All right? And then verse number 25 and 26, notice here another description about Simeon at the end of the verse. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. There is also the fact that the Holy Ghost needs to be present there. We see not only is there a pause and there's the people of God, but there's also the paraclete. There is the one that goes beside us. Listen, there can be no worship of God in this assembly today without the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit must be present within our hearts and he must be allowed to work. You cannot have come into this assembly today and think that you're going to worship God and think, you know what, I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to, when I, when I'm, after we sing joy to the world and shake a few hands, I'm going to take the light switch and turn it off. You listen, my friend, you did not worship God. Are you open to what the Holy Spirit of God would have for you to do? This man was being led by the Spirit of God is what he was being done. We don't know exactly how it came. We don't know if it was a dream, a vision. We don't know if it was a still small voice. We don't know exactly how it was, but we just know that the Spirit of God was upon this man and he led him in the way that he ought to go. And listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... Can I encourage you, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. He lives there. And you, my friend, ought to be submitted to His will, what He would want you to say and for what He would want you to do. I was at Lowe's the other day and I brought in a gospel track and I wanted to give it to somebody, but there was some kind of thing that happened at the counter and distracted me and... and uh, and, and the lady that I wanted to give it to uh, kind of walked away a little bit. And I saw, well, that's just a missed opportunity. I'll, I'll, we'll, you know, I'll do something next time. And the Lord said, uh, no, you won't. You'll do it now. <laughs> Has anybody ever felt like God just, you know, loud and clearly shouted out to you? You see, and so in that moment, I have a choice, don't I? I have a choice to either be led or to, to quench the Spirit of God. And so I thought, well, this isn't that hard, and I'll, I'll hand her a track. I gave her a gospel track, and this other lady was looking at me doing it, and God said, you need to give one to her too. A two in one day, man, this is a, come on, Lord, you know, what are, what are you asking from me here, you know? But you know what? It piqued her interest that I was talking to her about the Lord. And you know what? Maybe God didn't really want this lady to necessarily hear about God. Understand what I was meaning by that context, all right? But he was using this lady in order to get this lady's attention. Are you following me? So that she could hear about the Word of God. You see, you know, that's providence. Amen. Providence. You don't know how God is working things out. And listen to me. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a secret, all right? I'll tell you a Hudson Taylor, you ever read that? You ever, Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret. Anybody ever read that before? 
You know what his spiritual secret was? Follow God and do what God wants you to do. You know, right? It wasn't that much of a secret, okay? I hate to spoil it. Spoiler alert, okay? But I'll tell you a secret, though. Is that if you tell somebody about the Lord and they're receptive, you better lift up your eyes because people are weird. If they're receptive, there's probably going to be somebody else that's around that's receptive too. That's just where people are. They're just weird like that, all right? Go with the sometime out to Founders Day and start handing out gospel tracts, all right? If somebody says no, I never give the next person in line a track because they'll say no. We're, we're, we're lemons, right? We're followers. Now, if the Spirit of God says to do it, I will. Privilege. The paraclete was with him. There's privilege. There's privilege in worship, folks. You're saved. You're born again. You have a privilege to serve God. I, wouldn't just, I would say privilege and priority. It's a privilege. We sometimes take church for granted. We sometimes take worship for granted. We sometimes take this book for granted. How many of us take the slew and thousands and millions of sermons that are online for granted? How often could we be in our cars or by ourselves or doing something else and we could be listening to a sermon instead of letting something else, some other junk pour into our ears? We could be getting God's word in our heart. Listen, I know, my friend, I've got six children, all right? They don't always sleep till 8 o'clock in the morning. You getting what I'm saying? They sometimes wake up at 4 and 5 and they got runny noses and they need help and my Bible time doesn't always... And what am I going to do? Tell them, well, I'm going to go read my Bible and pray while you take care of the children. How pious. How uppity, right? God help us if we ever do something like that. You know what? You get what you can in on those days. And then what you do, you know what? Praise God for technology. We got so much of it, but we don't use it for the glory of God like we should. We plug in the earbuds and we say, you know what, I missed this chapter today. I'm going to plug it in. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to get it in. I've got to get the word of God, all right? It's a privilege. This man said, man, he was revealed to him according to his word. He knew what he needed to do. I mean, can you imagine the privilege of this? Amen. Could you imagine being Simeon? Or let me take that back. Can you imagine being Simeon's wife, all right, for just a moment? Hey, you better not do that, right? I heard a pastor say this the other day. This isn't original with me, but he was, talking, he was preaching about this. He said, he said, can you imagine what him and her wife saying, his wife saying, uh, you better not climb on that ladder. You better. He said, no, God has promised me, you know, till the Lord comes, I'm not going to die. You don't have to worry about me. I mean, can you imagine the privilege this guy had? I don't have that privilege. You don't have that privilege, but he had that privilege. But listen, we all have the privilege of worshiping God. Praying to God, seeking God. And then there's praise. Praise is always a part of worship. Verse 28, verse 34, verse 38. Verse 28 says he blessed God. Verse number 34 says that he blessed them. And verse number 38, the Bible says that she coming in that instance gave thanks unto the Lord. I tell you, when you're pressing God and praising God, that is blessing God. That is giving God thanks. That is giving God glory. You know how you should begin your prayers, continue your prayers, and end your prayers? With thanksgiving, with praise, 
with glory to God. Let's just give God, tell me one thing you're thankful about God about. Anybody, say something. Just family. Salvation, strength. Health. What about God? I'm talking about just God. What are you thankful about God? His holiness. Mercy. Second chances. Grace. Long-suffering. He's faithful. How long could we keep going? Amen? We, 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 do you think we ought to think about those things when we're giving God the glory? When we're praying, we say, God, you're long-suffering, you're merciful. And maybe when you're saying that one of these mornings that you'll say, God, you're so long-suffering and the Spirit of God will hit you like a load of bricks and you'll realize how foolish you had been in the past and man, maybe tears start streaming out of your eyes because you realize, man, I've wasted time but yet God was merciful and long-suffering and good to me. Praise God for the Lord and all He has done. If you're going to continue to worship God, you've got to rely on his promises. Verse 29 says, he says, Now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He rested in the promises of God. You know, I don't know when Jesus is coming. But you know what I do know? I know a little verse in 2 Peter that says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that what any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, an element of worship that all of us must participate in is this, is relying upon the promises of God. God promised that he would come the first time. That means he's going to come the second time. I'll say that again. God came, promised he came the first time, and I'll even emphasize it more by saying this, that his prophecies of coming the second time, I believe almost double or triple more than how they came the first time. If I know he's coming the first time, my friends, is he coming the second time? Yes, he's coming. Is it now? I don't know. Look at the signs. Look at Israel. Look at all these kinds. Look at all these things. Listen, my friend, there will be wars and rumors of wars. This is just the beginnings of the times, all right? It's been, 2000, it's been almost 2,000 years since our Lord left. Listen, we've seen the signs. We know He could come. We know He can do it. We've, he's promised that He will do it. It is for us to be ready for it. Simeon was told that he would not die before the Lord came, but he was not told when he would come. What if he was 35 when he got the promise and he was 75 whenever it happened? We don't know. What if it was one day? We don't know. The, the language seems to be that he had known for the long time because of the word waiting. He was waiting. He was in anticipation. That's a part of worship. You see that? Relying on the promises of God. You're going to keep worshiping God because you believe in the promises of God. And then there's propagation. Verse number 30 and 32, I believe this is an element of worship that sometimes we miss. In verse number 32, I'll just read this one verse. He says that the Messiah that is coming, it will be a light to lighten the Gentiles. This comes straight out of the book of Isaiah. I could give you many references in 44, 45, 42, but I'll read one for you in 60. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now that's an amazing thought. 
that here's a Jew that declares that God is going to lighten the Gentiles. The word Gentiles just means peoples, all right? It means anybody that's not a Jew. That's all it means, peoples. That God was going to bring them light. A part of worship that we miss out on is propagation. Is that our message and our thoughts and our ideas about worship and let's just, let's just speak of it, generally speaking, at church, in the assembly, should never be satisfied with the crowd that we have here. As the old saying goes, us four and no more. You know, that should never be the thought. That should never be the attitude. I'm not saying that this church is going to be 500 people, but what I am saying is this, what, I, what I'm saying is this this morning, is that we should just always have it in our minds to say, you know what, we want somebody else to be here to worship God. More people worshiping God is better than less people worshiping God. All, what, is, what does he say? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's Praise. What if we filled, what if we built a bigger church and put a thousand people in that church, my friend? Would that be enough to give praise and glory to God? What if it was 10,000? What if it was a million? What if it was 10 million? Would that be enough? It would never be enough. There's never enough glory and praise and honor that can be due unto His name. We praise Him, we lift Him up, but we also want to include others in it. It's in our hearts to say, you know what? We don't want to keep people out. We want to bring people in so that they might be saved and that they might hear the gospel and be saved and be worshiping the Lord in a right and just way. And then look at verse number 30. He says, mine eyes. Mine eyes. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Another element of worship, if you're going to continue to the end, is this, is not only propagation, but worship has to be personal. And when I was a teenager, I will admit to you, worship was not very personal. All right? And a lot of times that happens as young folks, is that many times is that you're riding on the coattails of your parents, and I'm speaking to all the young folks here today that there, there is a time that you got to stop riding on the coattails. For one, God has no grandchildren. Amen? But for another is this, is that you might be saved, truly born again. I'm not saying that. But your parents' faith is not something that you can keep riding on. It needs to be your faith. It needs to be your faith. Sadly, I've seen, I've been in the ministry long enough to see some that have served God for many years and some that are in their 30s or some that are in their 40s and mom or dad pass away and they just immediately stop coming to church. What happened in that situation? Well, I'm sure there's a myriad of things that could happen. I'm not here to give you a counseling lesson. But I would say that I think I could take a pretty good venture and a guess to say that one of the things that happened is this, is that the faith 
didn't come, become personal. We use a song that maybe you've heard, uh, and people used to sing it at Mother's Day all the time. You know, My Mother's Bible. Anybody ever heard that? Nobody's ever heard that song? Okay, yeah, thank you, Lord. All right. <laughs> all right, I don't feel alone. Um, but you know what? It ought to be my Bible. Where's, where's my Bible at? Amen? Well, where's my Bible? I'm looking for my Bible. Where's it at? It's not your kid's Bible. It's not your wife's Bible. It's not, it's not, it's, it's your Bible. It's yours. It means something to you. It's your God. It's my God. It's my Lord. Oh, I hope he's my children's Lord. I hope he's my spouse's Lord. I, I hope he's my church's Lord. But more than any of that, I want him to be my Lord. My God. Isn't that what Thomas said? Sometimes in worship, there's going to be perplexity. Verse number 34, 33, that after Mary heard all of these things, and Joseph too, that they marveled at those things which were spoken of him. There was some perplexity. You're not going to understand everything about worshiping and serving God. It's not always going to make sense. And then prophecy. This element of prophecy is in all worship. He prophesied what would happen to her and what was going to happen in the coming years. And we also understand this, that our worship is also prophetic too. What is Revelation 14, 7 says? It says, In that day they were saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Listen, the worship that we're doing now is only a precursor to the worship that we will do one day in the glory in the sight of God. It's just a prophecy. It's just a prophetic fulfillment that one day we're going to be in the glory of God, in the presence of our Lord and Savior, worshiping Him. And it's believing that pain. I'm hurrying through some of these last ones because I want to finish with, the, with this very last one. But there's pain. You say pain in worship? Notice what it says in verse number 35. She says, he says to Mary, looks right at her and he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul that the hearts of many may be revealed. Listen, she was going to experience some pain, was she not? She was going to watch her Savior die. She was going to watch her son die. It's going to be painful. You know, Job, Job suffered tremendous pain, but at the end, he offered and poured out his heart to God. Mary suffered tremendous pain, but who was with the disciples and the other 119 people in the upper room before Pentecost? Mary. She continued to worship God. An element of worshiping God, if you're going to continue to do so, is this, is that there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. Are you going to continue to worship God in the midst of all of that? The times are not easy. We like, to, we like to worship God, and it's easy to worship God. You might say, whenever things are going well. Things are going well. How many would testify 
that it's always easy to come to church. <laughs> I didn't get one hand. How many would testify that it's not always easy to come to church? Amen. Especially some of us with little children sometimes. Or something happens. We're not expecting it. Are we still going to worship God? Are we still going to praise God? And then prayer and fasting. I can't miss out on this. And I know my time is almost done. But notice what it says in verse 37. It says, but serve God with fastings and prayers. I've already touched on that a little bit in the prayer closet. But Anna worshiped God this way. But go back to verse number 30. And this is where I want to close at. It says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I was reading, and Adam Clark says, thy salvation is the Messiah. Albert Barnes says that thy salvation is Jesus Christ. John Wesley says that my, thy salvation is Jesus Christ the Lord. And I could give you more, one after another, after another, commentator after commentator after commentator that will tell you this. It's just like Jacob said in, in Genesis chapter number 49, whenever he spoke of his salvation. Listen, my friend, he wasn't talking about getting delivered from a boat or a lion, or he wasn't talking about getting pulled from a burning car or anything like that, okay? His salvation and our salvation and the world's salvation that is outside here right now is Jesus Christ the Lord. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Thy salvation is not an it, it's not a thing, it's not an event, it's not a deliverance, it is a person. That is the salvation. That is what it is. The salvation is Jesus Christ the Lord. And the question that remains for us this morning is that who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? If we're not worshiping Christ, then we're not worshiping God. Salvation is of the Lord because salvation is the Lord. It is Christ. It is Him. Salvation is in a person, and worship is in a person. These are the elements that keep one going. It's what kept Simeon going. It's what kept Anna going. And all of these elements that I've mentioned to you, and you've probably forgotten 93% of them, unless you wrote them down. But all of these elements... Hinge, hinge on one of the on one of them. They all ride on the person of worship. The person, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Who are you worshiping, Father? We're thankful for your many blessings.